0: If you will, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. We're going to read from verse 18 to the end of the chapter. While walking by the Sea of Galilee... He, that is Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, In the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria. And they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics and uh, uh, paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Amen. This text here in Matthew chapter 4 is very closely related to what we read in Luke chapter 5. And we read there that Jesus was standing by the sea, and he got onto Simon Peter's boat while Simon was cleaning his net after he had been fishing all night long. He'd been fishing all night long, and yet Peter tells us that he caught nothing. But Jesus comes onto his boat, and he says, pretty much, cast out your net, One more time. Now, take note that that Peter was a fisherman by trade. This is what he did for a living. He wasn't an amateur. He knew how to run a successful business. He, He knew what he was doing. He knew how to catch fish. So we can imagine that he knew all the best fishing spots. And he knew the best time to fish and the best places to cast out his net. And yet here comes Jesus, this man who was trained as a carpenter. He wasn't a fisherman. And then he comes on to Peter's boat, and he tries to tell him how to fish. And so we could kind of understand that Simon Peter got a little bit frustrated here. And he says in Luke chapter 5, you, you, you can almost sense his frustration. He says, We have toiled all night long and have taken nothing. As if to say, what good is it going to do to cast out my net again? Plus, I just cleaned it. I was washing it. If I cast it out again, I'm going to have to clean it all over again. Nevertheless, he says, at your word, I will let down the net. And when he does, we're told that Peter ended up catching a great multitude of fish. So many that one ship wasn't enough to hold them all. So Peter was astonished. And he fell down at Jesus' knees and, and he said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. He recognized this as a miracle. He saw no other explanation for it. And Jesus turns to Peter there, and he says, Don't be afraid. From now on, you shall catch men. Just like our text here in Matthew chapter 4, he promises to Peter, I will make you a fisher of men. The picture of being a fisher of men is used several times throughout the Bible to describe being a converter of souls. Jesus is telling Peter here, you may think that catching all these fish is miraculous, but I say unto you, that this isn't even the best part. From this day forward, you shall be used as an instrument to convert the souls of men. Catching fish is one thing, It's something that that can be taught, something that can be learned, something that, with enough human exertion, can be done by almost anybody. But Christ is calling Peter to a work that's impossible for him to accomplish in his own power. Conversion is, fundamentally, a supernatural work of God in the soul of man. Yet God doesn't ordinarily convert his people in a vacuum. People don't just wake up one morning with faith in Jesus Christ. No, God sends messengers to his people. And he causes his gospel to be faithfully preached and proclaimed among them. He causes his messengers to to lift up Christ as the only way of salvation. And to issue forth a call for all men to turn to him for the forgiveness of sins. This is what he called Paul to do when he was on the road to Damascus. He called Paul his chosen instrument to bear his name before the Gentiles. And Paul gives us a testimony of these events. In Acts chapter 26. And he says there that he was, he was sent by Christ to the Gentiles. To open their eyes. And to turn them from darkness to light. And from the power of Satan unto God. Not that he could do that on his own. It wasn't in Paul's power to, to open anyone's eyes. But yet he was sent as an instrument of God to proclaim the message of the gospel to a lost and sinful people. And God, according to his will, causes his word to bring people to faith by the power of his Holy Spirit. He causes his word to give life to the spiritually dead. He causes his word to, to, to give light to those who are bound in the chains of darkness. He causes his word to to catch men in the net of his gospel. And he reels them in and draws them out of the waters of sin. And he sends his people out into the world to accomplish this task. He sends his people out into the world to bring the gospel to the nations, that by it his elect may be drawn in and come to saving faith. Now, the the duty and the promise found in the words of Matthew 4.19 have a particular application to ministers of the gospel. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And what did they do? Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. They left their work within the world For the sake of the work of the gospel. Ministers of the gospel are called by God in a special way to become fishers of men. They're called, like like the disciples here in our text, to forsake their worldly employments. And to commit their time and their energy to the task of converting souls. They're to have a passion for preaching the gospel. And a heart for evangelizing the lost. And a desire to see the the kingdom of God propagated throughout all the world. And they're to spend their time and their talents and their resources to that end. With the conviction that God is equipping them for that task. So we ought to pray for ministers with this kind of heart to be raised up in our churches. Men who will take the gospel to the nations. Men who will preach on street corners and and evangelize the lost. And men that that will faithfully proclaim the gospel behind the pulpit week after week. Knowing that, that preaching is the ordinary means that God uses to convert sinners unto Christ. And to build up and strengthen those who are in the faith. Pray for these kinds of men to be raised up in our churches. And as a church that's currently searching for a pastor, let me encourage you to pray for this kind of shepherd to be brought to us. A shepherd not just with a heart for the sheep, but also for the fish. Now, this passage does apply especially to ministers of the gospel. But yet, everyone who claims the name of Christ, everyone who responds positively to Christ when he says, follow me, will be made a fisher of men. And so if you have been caught by Christ, if you have been drawn in by the glory of the gospel, then you have been caught in order to catch others. You have been caught in order to catch. Thomas Boston says that he that hath love will be concerned for the propagating of Christ's kingdom. If you love Christ... You will want to see his kingdom advanced in this world. And you will do what it takes to to see his kingdom advanced in your own communities, in your own workplaces, in, in, in your own spheres of influence. In fact, this is what we pray for in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. The larger catechism says when we pray those words, thy kingdom come. We're praying that the kingdom of sin and Satan may be destroyed and the gospel propagated throughout all the world. And if we're willing to pray for it, we ought to be willing to work for it. Just like we don't expect to receive our daily bread without having to work for it. Neither should we expect people to come to Christ and and for the kingdom to come without having to work for it, without having to declare unto the lost world the way of salvation, without having to declare unto them that the only one who could save them and, and deliver them from the power of sin is Jesus Christ. So while you might not be called to preach the gospel publicly, you are called to some kind of work in this world to serve the common good of the people in your homes and at your jobs. God has called you to himself and he has put you in the midst of a people who need to hear his gospel. People in your neighborhoods, people in your workplaces, people on your sports teams, in your schools. If you are a Christian, you are to be a fisher of men. and So we're going to consider verse 19 of Matthew chapter 4 in particular. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And first I want to consider here the one we are to follow. Jesus Christ, the chief fisher of Of men. As we said already, when, when Jesus got into Simon Peter's boat in Luke chapter 5, and he started telling them how, he started telling Peter how to catch fish, Peter got frustrated. Jesus wasn't a trained fisherman. As far as the eye can see, Peter was a much greater authority than Jesus was when it came to fishing. But not when it comes to fishing for men. Jesus knows the human heart better than any one of us do. He knows our own hearts better than we do ourselves. And so he knows the best way to catch the hearts of men. He certainly knew how to catch Peter's heart, didn't he? He fit his message to Peter specifically. He did what Peter thought was impossible. It seemed foolish to Peter to cast his net into the water again after a long night of of failure. But he did. He listened to Jesus. And Jesus did what he considered to be impossible. And so he was immediately struck with a sense of guilt. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. He was left astonished. And in awe of Christ. Because he knew that it was Christ who caused his nets to be full. We see examples of this throughout Jesus' ministry. That Jesus often, he uses the language of his audience, so to speak, in order to communicate his teaching. With With Peter, he used fishing. Around farmers, he used a mustard seed. Around a hungry crowd, he used bread. Around a thirsty woman, he used water. His message never changed. But the means that he used to teach it did. If you know any fishermen, you probably know that they have a formula for success. See, they know that if they want to catch a certain type of fish, they're going to need to use a certain kind of bait. And so they consider beforehand, what am I going to try to catch? And depending on what they want to catch, they'll ask themselves, well, will I need hard bait or soft bait? Will I need crank bait or spinner bait or or some other kind of bait? They put thought into it. They don't use a one size fits all approach. The same should be true for our leading others to Christ. You can't evangelize a, a grieving widow the same way that you would evangelize a, an atheistic philosophy professor. But our message never changes. We preach Christ. And he is the balm for the grieving soul As much as he is the foundation for all the knowledge in this world. And so we can take the gospel to the grieving widow. And we can take the gospel to the atheistic professor. But you see, we tailor our approach to our audience. But we never waver on our commitment to the truth of the gospel. There's a a principle in biblical interpretation that pretty much states that any given text of Scripture has one ultimate meaning, but it has many points of application. We ought to use this principle in our application of Christ to the situation of unbelievers. Just think about how Paul applies Christ in his letters. Letters. When he's dealing with pride and and selfishness, what does he do? He points to Christ. Let each of you look not to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. When dealing with a grieving church that had many members die, what did he do? He pointed to Christ. We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. He points to Christ to give comfort. And when dealing with a church that was divided, and there were members with, with bitterness in their hearts towards one another for whatever reason. What did he do? He pointed them to Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? What he's saying here is, we don't unite ourselves around men. We unite ourselves around Christ. And is Christ divided? Obviously not. Therefore, we shouldn't divide the body over such trivial matters. Do you see how the one objective person of Christ can be applied in so many different ways? That's our goal. We take Christ and apply him to the needs of those around us. And Christ, as the chief fisher of men, who communicates his gospel to the hearts of so many different kinds of people, he's able to instruct us and to equip us for this task. He's the chief fisher of men. So we learn from him. We follow him. That's our second point. We have a duty We must follow Christ. In the context of our text here, Jesus was literally calling his disciples to follow him in the world, to watch him, to listen to him, to serve alongside him. But it was more than that. It was also a spiritual call. It was a call for them to submit their hearts to him to leave their love of sin and and worldliness and to commit themselves to him. So we have this duty as well. We all must follow Christ. And when he calls you, he's claiming you as his own. He's saying, your time is mine. Your talents are mine. Your entire lives are mine. And I will set you apart to be used as an instrument to draw sinners unto me. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. When it comes to being fishers of men, we must follow Christ in his example. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus displays the kind of hearts that we ought to have towards unbelievers. Jesus displayed a heart that, that kept the souls of men always before his eyes, and he always sought to do good unto them. When he saw unbelievers, he had compassion on them. Matthew 9:36. When Jesus saw the crowds, he was moved with compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. When he saw unbelievers, he was grieved for their hardness of hearts. Mark chapter 3 and verse 5. And he looked around at the Pharisees with anger and was grieved at their hardness of hearts. When he saw unbelievers he wept for them. Luke 19:41. And when he saw the city he wept over it, saying, "Would that you had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from thee." Jesus had a heart for the unconverted, a heart that had compassion on them. A heart that grieved for them. A heart that wept for them. May we follow Christ and his heart for the unconverted. A good question to ask yourself is where is my heart when I look upon a sinful world? As we see in the example of Christ... There is a place for anger and frustration against sin. but There's got to be more than that. In the face of sin, we ought to be sorrowful. Like David in Psalm 119, we ought to be able to say, My eyes shed stream, streams of tears because people do not keep God's law. Matthew Henry writes, the sins of sinners are the sorrows of saints. Do you have that kind of heart? Do you have a heart, not just for condemning people for their sins, but for leading them to Christ so that they may love and obey Christ? But in this verse here in Matthew chapter 4, we also see a promise. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He could have rightfully said, follow me and be ye fishers of men. But he makes a promise. He will cause them to fish for men. And so maybe you don't have this heart that, that burns for the unconverted. Maybe you even see yourself as, as somewhat better or smarter than other people for having come to Christ. If that's you, that's evidence of an unconverted heart. If you lack a compassionate heart for unbelievers, if you lack a grieving heart for unbelievers, if you lack a weeping heart For unbelievers, you must follow Christ. And the immediate result of following Christ is being made a fisher of men. But maybe you do long to see people come to Christ but you you doubt and and you don't have confidence in your ability to convince anyone to come to him. Well, in one sense, your gifts are never so small that they can't be blessed by God. And so you should trust that God is able to use even your humble and feeble attempts of, of sharing the gospel to bring a sinner to faith. But in another sense, your gifts are never so great as to be able to convince anyone to come to Christ. It's not in your power to do it. Paul tells us, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no flesh may boast in the presence of God. The glory of the gospel isn't found in in your ability to speak, or in your wisdom, or in your ability to to form, form coherent arguments, or in your personality. The glory of the gospel is in the power of God. Thomas Boston says even if you had gifts like an angel you cannot convert a single soul unless Christ is with you to do the work. Just as Peter when he cast out that net it was not in his power to put fish in it. But when Christ intends to fill that net what seems impossible will come to pass. It's Christ that brings sinners into the net. It's your job simply to cast it. But now I say that. And in reform circles, we, we tend to emphasize that point. But it leads some people to think that, that they could be indifferent with the fruitfulness of their evangelism. The fact that God is sovereign over the salvation of men leaves some people to believe that they can be unconcerned with whether or not their witness of Christ is successful. There are people in Reformed churches, even some pastors in Reformed churches that will preach or share the gospel, and they'll have no concern with whether or not it took root in the souls of their audience. And they'll mask this this spiritual indifference with with the veil of of cold orthodoxy. Well, it's God who must give the growth, they say. We are simply called to be faithful. It's not our job to be concerned with, with whether or not we're successful. How can we be unconcerned with the souls of men? Would a farmer ever sprinkle his seed on a pile of dirt and say, Well, I've done my job. It's now up to God to bring the harvest. No, he he labors and he toils and he prays over his work. He tills the ground, he prepares the soil, he, he fertilizes, he waters, he prunes. And he does all of this, not because he thinks he has the power to make those seeds grow, but because he wants to see his work flourish. He wants to do everything in his power to have a plentiful harvest. How much more ought we to be concerned with the souls of men? how much more ought we to pray for and to prepare ourselves for these opportunities to cast the gospel net among men? And when we get these opportunities, how much more should we pray for our work to be fruitful? There is no room for indifference here. We are talking about eternal life or eternal death. There's no room for indifference. We see in verse 21 that when the Lord called James and John, they were mending their nets. See, a fisherman knows that he relies on certain tools to be successful in his work. And so he takes care of them to make sure that he can utilize those tools when he needs them. So he fixes his lines. He he oils his reels. He mends his nets. Likewise, we ought to concern ourselves with our own tools for catching men. We don't have a physical net, but we have a gospel net. We have the word of God. This ought to encourage us to study, to grow in our knowledge and understanding of the word. So that we may know which line to cast or which bait to use. So that we would be prepared to give a reason for the hope that's within us when the time comes. We should want to be as effective as possible in catching fish. God has called us to be instruments of the conversion of men, and growing in knowledge and our and and proficiency in the Word of God is one of the ways to be a useful tool for that end. And we'll close by considering one question. And it's perhaps the most important question that we can ask ourselves. Have I been caught by Christ? Have I been drawn to him by the glory of the gospel? Have I responded to his call to follow after him? Have I forsaken my own self-righteousness? Have I forsaken my own will for my life? And have I decided to give my time and my talents and my entire life over to him? If you haven't, then you must come to him. His gospel has been cast before you. Will you embrace it? Will you come and follow him? if you have been caught by Christ, then know, first of all, that you have no room for boasting. You were at one time just another fish in the waters of sin and it's only by grace that you were caught by Christ. Praise him today that even when all you knew was sin and all you delighted in was sin, that he took you into his net and held on to you and would not let you go. Praise him. What grace and what mercy that he would pull you from the very waters which would lead you to hell. But also know that if you have been caught by Christ, then you must be a fisher of men you have been caught in order to catch and your heart ought to burn for, the, for unconverted souls so pray earnestly for the unconverted people in your own life and cast the gospel net before them and pray for God to bless your work to further his kingdom follow me Christ says, and I will make you fishers of men. May we be a church that fishes for men. Amen.